the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, we get into the Word. Thank you, Lord, for the Word. How many is excited to hear the Word of God today? Right. Well, I'm going to talk about what happens in Acts 27? It's, it's only 28 chapters of Acts, so you know it's the latter part of the early church. And in Acts 27, we see uh, the Apostle Paul. He's lived out an awesome life. I mean, he's coming to the end of his journey. He's run his race. He's finished his course and so forth. And he's been beaten and shipwrecked and all the things that we know that Paul went through. And he gets himself in another pickle by preaching the Word of God. And they arrest him, and they want to beat him. And I guess he's getting tired of getting beat on all the time, so he finally pulls the, the Rome card. He says, I'm a Roman citizen. Do y'all know that? And they, they got scared then. They said, we didn't know you was a Roman citizen. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have beat you without a trial first. He said, I appeal to Caesar. So the Apostle Paul is appealing to big Caesar. Now, I, I appealed to Little Caesar the other day, and it didn't work at all. They, <laughs> they didn't give me no pepperoni. But <laughs> uh, Icebreaker, okay. He appealed to Big Caesar and went to Rome. I appealed to Little Caesar and went home. <laughs> but anyway, they put him on a boat, and they, they've got a Roman soldier guarding him, and he's in shackles and everything, and they put him on a boat, and they set sail from Caesarea, which is a port city in Israel, and they're going all the way to Italy. They're going to Rome. He has appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you shall go, they said. And how many knows that's part of God's plan? God would love the Apostle Paul to be able to sit down face to face with the, the ruler of the known world, the Roman Empire. So God's got a way, like Callan said, of getting it done. So... Paul is on his way, and they set sail, but it's late in the season, we find out. Now, I'm just, I'm just paraphrasing chapter 27. You can read the story for yourself. But it's late in the season. It's almost fall time, and in the Mediterranean, it can get kind of hairy sometimes, and a lot of storms and stuff in the fall. And they're, they're finding great difficulty sailing, because how many of you know they didn't have 150-horsepower Mercury's back then? No, they had sails, and, and they had to depend on the wind. And so they were trying to get across, and they were finding great difficulty. And so they stopped at this little port and said, we got to get a bigger boat. How many saw Jaws? <laughs> we got to get a bigger boat. And so they decide to get a bigger boat, and they do. And they, th and they think a bigger boat's what they need. Now, I, when I'm seeing this story, I don't know about you, but I begin to examine my own life. And I see that I'm setting sail on this journey, and I think all I need in life is a bigger boat. How many feel like if you had a bigger boat, everything would be all right? So they get a bigger boat. What happens? They barely made it to the next port. And the next port's called Fairhavens. And they, they just barely wing their way up in there. And, and they're th thinking, what are we going to do? Are we going to have to winter here in Fairhavens? I don't even like Fairhavens. Everybody's complaining. And Paul says, listen, guys. I got some intuition here. You know, Paul, how many knows the apostle Paul probably heard from God a little bit? 
He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, so we think he heard from God. <laughs> and so he says, fellas, I think if we leave port, we're going to be in trouble. I mean, we could lose our lives, we could lose the ship, everything. So Paul warns them of the danger ahead. How many know Paul has warned us of the dangers ahead? But these soldiers and these sailors, they're like, I still want to do things my way. I want uh, Fair Havens isn't a comfortable place to spend the winter. Let's at least go around the corner. Let's at least go a little further into this mess that we're making of our lives. And let's find something more comfortable. How many knows comfort leads a lot of people today? They're led around by what they want. To, they want comfort at all costs. They think that's the most important thing in life. So they leave the port of Fair Havens. And, and what's funny is it says that the winds died down, so they thought that it would be okay. How many knows that situations will arise to make it seem like you can go on ahead despite what Paul says? <laughs> so they go ahead and they're, uh, they're looking for comfort. Some of us wouldn't leave, leave our lazy boy if the house was on fire. You know what I mean? I'll call 911. They'll be here in a minute. You know, <laughs> Our lives are about comfort. But they try to make it to the next port, but there's a terrible storm arises. Right behind that calm weather, that was just the calm before the storm. And the terrible storm arises. They call it, a uh, what do they call it over there? Nor'easter, yes, yeah, what the Bible calls it. We might call it a hurricane or gale force winds, whatever. And it drives them out to sea. And it takes them adrift so that it rips down their their sails and all that stuff and they got out there and they realized they weren't really in control at all do you know that this life can rip down your sails and leave you adrift out in the ocean with no hope if you don't do it God's way you've been warned but they're out there and it gets so bad that they're fearing for their lives and they get to a place where they dump out all the cargo now, you understand what that represents, right? All the cargo, that was where they were made. That's why they're here in the first place. They were going to make the moolah. They were here to make the money. That's what it was all about to them. They were going to get there and sell this cargo and be rich. But now, they're adrift at sea in terrible storms, and they throw out the cargo. They even begin to throw out some of their ship's tackle. You know, some of the, the ropes and stuff to lighten because they're just they're trying to hold on. How many's ever been to a place in your life that the storms got so bad you ain't even worried about making money anymore? You're just worried about holding on and not being thrown into the ocean, swallowed by a shark. And that's where they're at. In Acts 27, verse 20, most of you are already there. I heard those pages turning. And that's good. I, I, there's no better sound than hearing those pages turning in a church, is it? Acts 27, verse 20, the Bible says it like this. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. They found themselves in such a bad situation they couldn't see past the clouds. They have lost hope. All hope. They don't even remember that there used to be a sun up there. I just parallel this with my life. 
Because I was so hard-headed and I was after the, the moolah and, and get, selling my cargo and getting into a comfortable place in this life. Man, I'm telling you what. I thought I, that's what it was all about until I got set adrift. Until the storms came. And then I got rid of everything. And all hope was gone. And no one had eaten for a long time. And finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place. <laughs> you should have not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss. I applaud you folks who, who got saved early on and have lived a life where you didn't have to go through this. Congratulations, man. But he tells the rest of us who have been through this and know what I'm talking and can feel it right now on the inside, that's been my life. He says, he doesn't say, nah, 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 boo, boo. He says, but take courage. Take courage. None of you will lose your lives even though the ship will go down. How many knows we're sailing on a sinking ship? This thing's going down. The question is, are you going down with it? For last night an angel of God to whom I belong and to whom I serve stood beside me and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. See, I've got a plan. God's got a plan for your life. His plan for Paul was to get him before Caesar. His plan for your life still stands. His, his calling is irrevocable. The thing he had you to do from the beginning that you didn't do, he still wants you to do. Don't be afraid, for you will stand before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. Do you believe God? It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Say an island. Well, they're out there, and Paul has told them this good news, take heart, and some of them take it to heart. And guess what some of the sailors did? They didn't take it to heart. They began to get the lifeboat out, and they was getting in the lifeboat. Forget that guy. We're, go we're going to take, we've got a little boat here, and we can make it in the little boat. They thought they needed a bigger boat. Now they think they need a little boat. Little, 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 little boat. Smaller boat. <laughs> so, <laughs> How many did that? You were down and out, and there was no hope for you, and, and somebody offered somebody came along and offered you one more chance at this world's way. And you was about to take it. And little did you know it could have got you killed. Paul said, guys, he told the soldiers watching them sailors over there getting in that boat, they ain't going to make it, and we ain't going to make it without them. So them soldiers get a hold, guys, y'all are not leaving in this little boat. They cut the ropes, let the lifeboat go. Then they saw this island. This island Paul had already told them about. And they saw a little beach out there and said, if we can head and we can get close enough, we can all swim to shore. So they headed the boat towards the island and they got the nose stuck, you know, in the, in the shallow, and, and the back end of the boat went up in the air. And them, it says them waves was whipping at the tail end of that boat. How many ever feel like you had your butt up in the air and you just get a whip? Wah, wah, wah. That's what... That's what happens when you don't pay attention to Paul. You get your butt up in the air and you get a big whooping. But anyway, Paul said, all right, 
Let's head for shore, and they, they jump off. Everybody can swim, jumps off. The rest of them take a piece of the ship and some debris or something, and they all make it to the shore. Say amen. amen. In Acts 28, 2, where I really wanted to get to after all that, says the people of the island were very kind to us, the natives. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Say welcome. That's going to be a big word today. You know, these people on this island, they got some strangers washing up. They could have been afraid of the strangers. They could have said, we don't want strangers here. But no, it says they were very kind. They showed hospitality. They uh, left their warm homes and went out on a cold, rainy night. That's how welcoming they were. And they built a fire, it says, at the beach. They didn't say, come in, you know, come over here to the dry place. No, they went to, met them at the door, so to speak. Now's where I begin to think about the church a little bit. It's got folks that's shipwrecked here at the Passion Church that's come, coming through our doors that God has sent them to an island, just so to speak. And we don't even know what they've been through just to get here. And we need to meet them at the door. We might even need to meet them at the door of their car. We might need to meet them in the parking lot. We might need to build them a fire and let them know that we're welcoming them here. You don't have to wait to know if you're welcome in God's house. Come on in. We're here. How many have seen me out there on a rainy day uh, in the parking lot with an umbrella when you got here? Well, that's for several reasons. That's for me to show a little humility. <laughs> Remember who I am, just one of us. And that's also to make you feel welcome. Because that's my heart, that everybody feels welcome. Where was I going before I went on that rabbit trail? But they didn't make them wonder if they were welcome. And guess what? These people on this island were the, it was a Malt, island of Malta. These Maltans were heathens, we would find out. These are not even Christian folk. They don't even have the Spirit of God in them like we do. And they were welcoming. If they can be welcoming to some shipwrecked strangers on their island, how much more can we? Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore, welcome. Say welcome. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See, welcoming people gives glory to God. God is a welcoming God. Can you imagine what some of the visitors have been through before they get here? The shipwrecked lives, the storms, having their butt up in the air, getting spanked, swimming in the cold sea, going to, and then they finally get to the doors of the church. And you can imagine what's going through their mind. All the things that the world has told them about church folks. They're judgmental. They're hypocritical. They're going to they're gonna condemn you as soon as you walk through those doors. They're expecting the fires of hell more than they are the, the Spirit of God. Because the world has lied to them and told them that this is not a welcoming place. And there are examples of churches that hadn't been welcoming. But nonetheless, we got to show them different. We got to show them this is an island of safety. This is where God wants you to be. Today's message is part five in our series, The House of God. The House of God is part five, warm and inviting. 
That's on your sheet if you're following. How many of you ever look at your bulletins? Got the announcements and everything on us? Today's message is part five, warm and inviting. And isn't that what we are? I mean, right there on our who we are banner, it says that we're a warm, fun-loving church. And then later on down, it says everyone matters. So we are warm and inviting by nature. This is who God has called us to be. Would you agree? We need to show empathy. Empathy is not the same as sympathy when you feel bad for somebody. Empathy is when you put yourself in their position and try to see things from their point of view. And you want to feel what they're feeling. And you think about how they feel when they come. Have you ever had a bad church experience? Have you ever been hurt by a church? Those are some hard things to overcome. Proverbs 18.19 says an offended brother is harder to win back than a fortified city. And that's a brother. That's somebody who's a brother, a friend. Let me tell you this. If, if we offend a visitor here at church, they ain't coming back. Not only are they not coming back, they're going to get on social media and tell everybody how Passion Church sucks. How mean those folks were. They're going to ruin it for everybody else, aren't they? They, got, they don't owe us anything. And it just maybe just takes one of us. The nine first people who greet them could have been out of this world kind, but somebody comes in with a, having a bad day and is rude could ruin it for all of us. They're going to tell everybody. But see, my Passion Church peeps, we've prayed too long for this. We're seeing growth. We're seeing new faces. This is the most exciting time of our church history, in my opinion. This is it. I mean, what are we... We're waiting for a better day. This is, we're living the better day right now. We've been on our knees right here. There's blood over here where Nicholas' nose was bleeding. He was sucking carpet, praying to God, didn't even know it, left a big old huge. I mean, that's the kind of prayers we do around here. We're, Lord, send us the lost. Send us the hurting. Send us the, the non-bleeding. Lord, give us somebody that we can love on. And here they're coming and stuff, and then we're going, well, I had to park all the way around the back today. All these new visitors taking the spots. <laughs> Another thing, have you noticed I've been parking over there across the street at the Knowledge Tree? Two reasons. Humility, and I want to make the visitors feel welcome. Have, give them a place up front. Just an idea. Next week, everybody will be in the Knowledge Tree. Cricket, cricket over in our parking lot, you know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, some of us are more hard-headed than others, and Jesus has had to deal with us for a long time. I was one of those. It took me 32 years to finally reach out to God, to come to the end of my shipwrecked journey. And uh, God dealt with me that whole time. And I can imagine how happy He was when I got saved here in this church, the first time I walked through the doors, I bet he's like, yes, he finally came home. He finally came home. And how would he have felt if I'd have got here and I'd have been turned away or snubbed or treated rudely and thought, well, this ain't... When they land here, my friends, we got to meet them at the door. And we got to do more. We got to make them understand. Someone once said, hospitality is making your guests feel at home. Even if you wish they were. 
No, no, that's the wrong quote. <laughs> no, that is not how we feel. But Michael Knowles said, in the kingdom of God, strangers on the doorstep represent a gift and an opportunity from God. That's what they are. God has sent them. He has trusted us with the visitor. He has trusted us with those He has, he has been working in their life and He's got them to this point. Now He's sending them to us just like we prayed. So what are we going to do? See, God, Jesus' heart is all-inclusive. He likes everybody. He likes everyone to feel welcome. In John 1.10, it says, He came into the world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, and they rejected Him. See, He knows what it feels like not to be welcomed. Can you imagine God, the Creator, came down here and was rejected? And was not made welcome in the own, the own the very world that he created? It's kind of silly. In Matthew 25, 43, he says, I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. He's making a point. Turn to Luke 7. Jesus is all inclusive. His heart is all inclusive. In verse 41, I'll sum it up. He's, he's given a parable about the one guy owed this fellow 500 pieces of silver, another guy owed him 50, and the guy knew that neither one of them could pay it back. How many knows we can't pay back what we owe God? Stop trying to work for it. What happened was he forgave both of their debts. And then Jesus asked Simon, he said, Simon, which one of you suppose loved the man more that and Simon said well, I guess the guy that was forgiven the most you know the one with 500 pieces he said you're right and in verse 44 it says see let me set this up a little bit Jesus had come into Simon's house and this sinner woman had come and cried at his feet and washed his feet with her with her tears and been worshiping him since he got there and Simon and his crew they had looked down on the woman and thought to themselves, if, doesn't he know what kind of woman this is, a sinner woman? What's she even doing in my house? If it wasn't for him, I'd kick her out right now. You know, they've got this attitude. They think only the righteous should be in the house of God. Only the righteous can come to Jesus. Well, that's the exact opposite message that Jesus sends. Jesus was a friend of the sinner. And so he, he turned, Jesus turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Simon's over here, but he wants to look at the woman. He don't even want to look at Simon. Because that kind of attitude makes Jesus mad. He turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. For when I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. He says, but a person who is forgiven little only shows little love. My question is, which one of us thinks we've only been forgiven little? 
I wouldn't want to be the one that's only thanks I've only been thanks I've only thanks I've only been forgiven little. Because I wouldn't be loving like I should. But when I study my life and I see my stormy history, I'm like, I know what I've been forgiven, and I love much. We've all been forgiven much. It's just an understanding of that. So, who does Jesus show love to? Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye. All ye. And if all ye are not welcome in your church, then I wouldn't expect Jesus to be there. Y'all want me to say that again? It's on your sheet. I wrote it down for you. If all you, if everybody isn't welcome in your church, regardless of all the little camps that we put people in mentally, Conditions, the grades, the this, that. However we see people. If they ain't all welcome in your church, then I wouldn't expect Jesus to be there. That's not the kind of church that Jesus is running here. A guy named Kerry Neowolf says, a recent Barna study points out that despite a growing epidemic of loneliness in the world, only 10% report going to church to find community. More, more people are growing lonely in this world. And only 10% think that the church is the place to go to find a friend. He says nobody should be able to out-community the local church. That's what we should be known for. My goodness. I mean, that's the heart of what we were doing right here. A name synonymous with love and hope and purpose and family. Man, we mean these things. They can't come to the local church. Let me finish this quote here before I get all fired up. Nobody should be able to out-community the local church. If we love the way Jesus loved, people would line up at the door. They would. And I truly believe that's why we're growing. Because we have decided to love like Jesus. Have we mastered it yet? No. Sometimes I wonder if we're even paying attention, but... We are making progress. We are making progress. Anybody ever heard of Gandhi? Mahatma Gandhi? He was, when he was a young man over in the huge, hugely populous country of India, as a young man, he was thinking, how can I change this country? How can I get people to be more friendly and and to love more and to do these things? And it was on his heart to change the culture in India. And so he says, I believe it is through a, a, a religion that I can do this. And so he studied the religions of the world. All the religions of the world. And he came to this conclusion. He said, according to my studies, Christianity would be the best way to change the heart of India. And he was fired up about it. And he, next Sunday he went to a local church. And he got to the door and the ushers opened the door and they looked at him and said, Sir, I'm sorry, this is a church for Europeans only. And they sent him away. So he went back to the drawing board and he said, Well, sure. Well, I guess Christianity is 
They're not not kind of like, they don't act the way they put it on the paper, so maybe they're not the one. So he became the one who spread Hinduism to millions and millions of people in the, in the country of India. And I wonder to myself, how many people have taken that wrong path, set out on that stormy sea to hell, because one church turned away this man and didn't show a welcoming attitude and didn't give Christ a chance in his life. And so he turned to spread Hinduism to millions of people in the country of India. We're all host and greeters here in the house of God. I know we have official host and greeters back there, and if you'd like to join our team, man, we'd love to have you pass out the bulletins and, and be paid. No, we don't get paid. <laughs> but to be able to smile at people and, and say, that's my job to love on folks as they come in the door. But is this, is this your church? Is this your home church? If you're, even if you're not officially on the team, how silly would it be? Have you ever invited somebody to your house and they knock on the door, yeah, come on in. You got guests coming over and they come in. You don't say a word to them. You just go back to doing what you was doing. And they come walking in, looking around. You got family members, you don't say, hey, this is Becky, this is my daughter so-and-so. You don't introduce them to family. Uh, come over here and this is where we sit. Let me get you something to drink. Let me, let me show you where the bathroom is. Is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything that I can do to alleviate the anxiety you must feel being in a new place? Can I have empathy and feel, think about how I would feel if I was a visitor in this place? And how rude would it be? We don't get a second chance to make a first impression. That, that statement is true. It's always true. You don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And first impressions are a big thing. Maybe you've heard stories of churches where people came in and nobody shook their hand, nobody welcomed them, they sat, and nobody greeted them during the greeting time, and when it was over, they got up and said, I guess we'll go. <laughs> nobody said anything to them. There was a little church in my uh, grandmama's hometown of Shaw, Mississippi, a little Catholic church I used to go to. Very nice people. Uh, I love all those people. Very nice people once you get to know them. But, the, but, you know, they don't have any visitors in Shaw, Mississippi. I mean, the town, everybody knows everybody. And nobody's coming to church in Shaw but the people that live there. So they have this nice little church. But I was, you know, living here in Memphis, and they, they kind of knew me from my family members. But when I would come to church... They would all, they were a visitor, you know, and it just caught them by surprise. And a lot of them were nice and everything because they knew my family and everything. I would sit there, but there was this one kid. He's about eight years old. And every time I would sit back there in the, in the pew, he would not only look at me, he would turn and put his arms up on the pew and stare at me the entire service. And I'd just, I'd, and I kind of felt like everybody wanted to do that, but this kid was doing what everybody, you know? <laughs> we got to use some common sense about how we, we do things. 
We were all guests in God's house at one point until we accepted his invitation to be family. And so we need to be made to feel welcome. In Matthew 10, 40, let's go ahead and turn there. I want to read verses 40 through 42. And you see where it says in Matthew 40, it says, uh, 1040, anyone who receives you receives me. I'm going to replace the word receives, just, just bear with me, with the word welcomes, okay? Can you, al can you almost picture if you receive somebody, you're welcoming them? Since I'm talking about welcoming, give me some latitude here. I'm going to replace the word receives with welcomes. Anyone, now this is Jesus speaking, anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the Father who sent me. If you welcome a prophet as one who speaks from God, you will be given the same reward as a prophet. <laughs> if you receive or welcome righteous people because of their righteousness, you will be rewarded, you will get a reward like theirs. So, you can get the same reward as a prophet or as a righteous man simply by welcoming them. Is that what it's saying? Pretty much receiving them. Receiving may be even stronger word than welcoming. But I just wanted you to see it in, in that light. In verse 42 it says, And if you even give a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded. How many likes to be rewarded? I mean, if we really believe this scripture, that when we welcome people, make them feel at home, we receive folks, we will be rewarded. We will get the, the, the same gift that they are given, the, the same reward that they're given. And if we give a cup of cold water, I, I wish I had a cup of cold water, I'd give it to somebody. Here, take this. You'd be like, no, I don't. No, take it. I need this reward. I'd be wanting to give it. You know what I'm saying? I would have a new mindset. I would begin to see things different. What does God reward? He likes to see people welcomed and received. Some of you are asking all the time, what, what can I do? What can I do to, to uh, help God out? How can, how, can, how can I use my gifts? What can I do to, do to be used by God? Well, the first thing we all can do, whether you're serving in an official ministry capacity or whatever, is we can take ownership of our visitors' first impression. We can make them feel as welcome as I hope you were when you came here. We can all take that responsibility. We can come to church prayed up and ready to give a little. I know you come to get something from church, and that's good. God wants to give to you, but it's also a time to give and receive. Not just Gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy. But come willing to give out of what God has given you. That's the way relationships work. And it's not a plastic. I'm not asking you to be plastic or fake. Please don't. Because you've probably been to some churches where, Hallelujah, welcome to the church, brother. You know, And everybody's got their church face on and all that. We're not asking you to do it. Just be yourself. But be genuine, you know. What does it say? We are genuine, passionate, 
and relevant. We meet people where they are, and we make them feel welcome. Every Sunday, honestly seek to make a connection with someone new. That's what you can do. And it doesn't just have to be somebody brand new. Maybe there's somebody in here that's been going a couple weeks, but you haven't said hello yet. You haven't got to know them. See, this is an opportunity. These are brothers and sisters. This is like a, a family reunion every Sunday and Wednesday. You come here, brother, I ain't seen you. I, I ain't never seen Who are you? <laughs> but I'm glad you're here. Tell me your name. What do you do? Hey, you do that? You play golf? Let's get together. Or What's your family doing after service? Let's, won't y'all go out to eat with us? These relationships. It's what makes a beautiful thing here. It's the relationships. I wrote this down because it's so good. And it's so true. Relationships grow a real church more than preaching ever will. Relationships grow a real church more than preaching ever will. We have tried it here in America where it's all about the preaching. It's all about the knowledge. And all we do is get puffed up and prideful. And we don't put it into action. Jesus would rather you sit out there dumb as a, a stump and have some love for somebody than be all puffed up with pride and know everything about the Bible. I don't know where that came from. Then I finally I'm going to close with one more point that I really wanted to make. Along with being inviting, we should be inviting. Pastor, you have lost it. No. Along with being inviting, we should be inviting. We should be out there inviting and why do I say that? Well, Jesus told a parable of the great banquet. See, he says the king's son was getting married and they were having a wedding feast. How many of you knows that Jesus is about to get married and the bride is his church? And he's having a big wedding feast and he's calling everybody to it. And that's the point he's making in this parable. And so he's sent out invitations. And the people, one at a time, said, oh, I can't make it. You know, we were going to winter here in Fairhavens, but we're going somewhere more comfortable. And they made excuses one by one how they weren't going to make it. And so in verse 9 of Matthew 22, Jesus tells it like this. He says, so the king says, now go out into the street corners and invite everyone you see. Say invite. In Luke's account, in Luke 14, 21, he says, he said, go quickly into the streets and into the alleyways of the town and invite, say invite, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Everybody. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. Y'all have done a good job, but look here. There's a whole row over here. There's still room for more. 
Did God say, well, that's good enough. At least we got some folks that showed up today. No. So the master said, go out into the country. Go farther. And into the lanes and behind the hedges. Who looks for visitors behind the hedges? Who is behind the hedges? I don't know. But God wants them here. So go out into the country and behind the hedges and urge. Say urge. Urge anyone, anyone you find to come. I love this line. So that the house will be full. God is only happy with a full house. He won't, he won't stop leaving the 99 and go and find the one till they have all come in. Till he's a full house. And you know what happens when we get a full house? Then we'll get a new house. A bigger house. And we'll fill it up. And then we'll send out people all over the world. And next thing you know, we'll be a name synonymous with Jesus. All over the world. As people learn to welcome one another. To receive one another. To love one another. To invite people. And then it says... Don't just, they invited some people. They invited their friends, right? And then a lot of them didn't come. And then he says, well, 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 go invite the poor and the lame. Go invite people you didn't really think. I didn't know those, those ain't really church folks. That's the point. Go invite them. Okay. So they went and, and things started to work. But then the place still wasn't full. So go urge them. Urge is a bigger word than invite. How many of you have been urged to come to the Passion Church? <laughs> have you anybody been urging, folks? I know Nicholas is a big urger. So about three quarters of the people in here because of Nicholas urged you to be here. He was gonna pull out the five-fold ministry if you didn't come. <laughs> but that's the way God wants it. He wants the house to be full. So that the house, say, so that the house will be full. Full. Most effective way to reach the lost right now in America is a personal invite to a gospel-driven church. You know who said that? Me. It's just my gut feeling. It's my gut feeling. We go out on the streets and we win the loss. We go to the jails, we win the loss, and, we, and we're doing a lot of things. But how do we get everyone involved? Not everybody will do that, but everybody can invite and if it's a gospel-driven church, then they can come and they can receive the gospel message and be saved. The most effective way to reach the lost right now in America is a personal invite to a gospel-driven church. Didn't I tell you a statistic recently? I can't remember what the exact number was, but it was like 75, 80% of lost people said that they would go to church if somebody would only invite them. So they're just sitting back waiting. <laughs> How many remembers what I preached two weeks ago? People may never remember what we preach, but they will always remember how we made them feel.
wherever you've been in your life, your memory, if you think back, you can remember how the people made you feel. Well, how does this message help me, Pastor? I come to get something from me. How do I? That's good. I'll be nice to the visitors. I'll shake their hand. I'll look for somebody during the thing. I don't know. I'll talk to them. But how does this, I mean, how does it? This gets down to the very core of who we are as people. This changes the very thing that needs to be changed about us because we're all lone rangers in this little skin of ours. We're all scared of one another. We're all afeard. And we're, we're longing to find purpose. This is the easiest entry point. This is the thing that has to be changed first about each one of us is that we're not get off my island people. That we're build a fire at the beach people. Leave our warm homes and go out into the cold and say, I can see where you're coming from, brother. I, I can have empathy with this trip that, that, that you've been on. And we can look at other people and we can see hurt and we can see pain and we can understand what it feels like because we've been through it. And we can care. This gets down to love. This gets down to the heart of the gospel message. What I, I may be putting it in simplistic terms by saying, welcome everybody. But this is the attitude and the heart that must be in a Christian. Welcome people at your job. Welcome them when they come into your cubicle. Listen to their problems. Be willing to build a warm fire, a bridge between you and somebody else in your life. And you say, well, how does that help me? That helps you become who you were created to be. That is at the core of the difference of going out with your cargo and with your comfort issues and about you and about you and getting out on that storm. And this, this turns everything around and, and gives you purpose and you begin to follow what Paul says to do. What God says to do through Paul. This is where it turns. The simplistic things. Just a heart for someone else. And it begins with welcome. A welcoming attitude. My brother was a altar boy at that same little church in Shaw. And uh, he tells the story about how one time they was having a midnight service on Christmas Eve. And he said he was in there just going through the motions. He really wasn't saved back in. He didn't know Jesus. He was an altar boy. He was just an altar boy. He just stood up on the altar, but he, he didn't know Jesus. But anyway, he was in there. Things are odd to me. I'm sorry. I see things differently. But he was in there and he said that they were singing Ave Maria something. He was doing what he normally did on Christmas Eve service. and He said the back doors opened loudly. <clears throat> he said everybody turned around and there was this old bum looking fellow with a long beard and long stringy hair and holes in his jeans and an old ratty jacket on. He come walking down the, the middle of the aisle. And he said the whole church was zeroed in on him. And they were all expecting something. And the ushers come up behind him, you know. And, he, and, G, and Heath, my brother Heath, 
He said, don't let him sit by me, God. Don't let him sit by me. And the, and the man came walked, got in the same aisle with my brother Heath and stood right beside him and said, started singing at the top of his voice, Ave Maria. He couldn't sing a lick. And Heath is like, oh my gosh, this is embarrassing. Why did he have to sit next to me? And so they sat down, they kneeled down, they got back up, kneeled down again, got back up, whatever they do. And finally, the priest begins to say his little piece, and he preaches his message. And he said the guy pulled out a worn old New Testament little pocket Bible, started following along with what the priest was saying. And Heath was like, we don't do that here. You know, he's thinking, nobody brings a Bible here, you know. And so he's looking at it. And then at the end of the service, they're about to pass the offering plate. And Heath said, oh. I see what this is about. This is all just a big ruse. When I passed this plate to this guy, that's why he sat on the outside here next to the back row because Heath was sitting on the back row. He said, I, he's going to take that plate and run out the door with the church's money. He kind of eyeballed the ushers and the ushers were saying, we got it, you know. They were closing the in, exits, you know. And as that plate come down the, the row there, my brother said, he said, I don't want to give it to him, but I guess I got to. And he was thinking, please don't let him run out with the money, and I gave it to him. And right before he passed in the bucket, said the man reached in his jacket, and Heath was like waiting, waiting for him to pull out a gun, and he pulled out like two or three wrinkled dollars. He unfolded them, put them in the offering plate, and gave it to the usher. And Heath said something, hit him right there. He said, what am I doing? Well, why was I thinking this? Why was I assuming this? And he felt bad. And he said as they they got up, you know how they do, they say, peace be with you. The service is ended. Go in peace. And then they say, glory to God. <laughs> you know, and they said glory to God and service was over. And he was going to, he turned to say something, but the guy was already walking out the door. And he said, he followed him around because he felt bad. And he was going to try to be nice to him. He he realized how he'd been acting bad. and he, he walked out the front door of the church and he looked and the guy was gone. And he never saw him again in this little town of Shaw. And he truly believes that in Hebrew 13 too, where it says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some have done this and have entertained angels without even realizing it. Jesus says, when you do it to the least of these, you have done it to who? To me. A true house of God is warm and inviting. It's inviting, warm and inviting. Inviting, warm. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.